Good morning. It's a privilege to stand up here in representing the Pastor Search Committee. And uh, I think we've introduced Grady Smith very, very many times, Dr. Grady Smith, over the past week or so. And I was going to mention all of his accolades and where he's been and all of that, but there's really no need to. Um, what I do want to say is that it doesn't take you long to get to know his heart for the Lord when you spend time with him. And it doesn't take you long to hear his heart for you as you spend time interacting with him also. So that's what I I hope that you guys take away from this morning. The announcement and the the recognition is this guy loves the Lord and he loves people. And he says that his day is best when his day is full of meeting with other people and discipling them and encouraging them and counseling with them. That's the guy that, that he is. So I wanted to just briefly introduce him today. His name is Dr. Grady Smith. But he loves to be called the distinguished and amazing Dr. Grady Smith. <laughs> no, he, he wants to be called Grady for sure. He, he does not want to be called Dr. So without anything else to be said, I welcome him up here and introduce him to you guys. There we go. We'll try that. Well, good morning, Gateway. It is a joy to finally get to be with you this morning, to finally get to meet many of you in person. I've heard much, much about you over the last few months um, from the Pastor Search Committee, from the elders, and mostly from Robbie, so I hope he has represented you accurately to me, right? (laughs) But in all seriousness, it has been a joy to learn about you. The more I've learned about your church family, it has blessed me. It has encouraged me. It has brought joy to my heart. It's given me hope for this congregation, hope for the church and our country as well. So thank you for blessing us and encouraging us in that way. And thank you for blessing us and encouraging us with your prayers. Over the last few months, even before you knew who we were, you were praying for us. And we sensed your prayers and have felt your prayers in recent weeks. And we are incredibly thank you for that. And we thank you for your continued prayers for us and for you guys this week as you seek the Lord's will for what he wants to do and where he wants to take this Church, I'm excited about what God has done in my life and my family's life through this time. I'm excited about what he's done in your lives individually and as a congregation. I'm excited about what he's going to continue to do. We serve a great God who is worthy of our praise and his plans are good. And I'm thankful to be here with you today. I do want to pause and say a word of thanks to the pastor search committee. I was not sure what to expect the first time I met them. I've been at Lakeview and Auburn since 2002, so this has been an entirely new world and new experience for me. I wasn't sure what to expect when we showed up at Chappie's to meet with them several months ago, but we found that night just a sense of refreshment. They were real. They were honest. They were a delight to be with, and even though we'd only met them a few hours, they felt like friends when we left, and they've been an encouragement to us. So thank you, Gateway, for selecting them to represent you. They have been an encouragement to us. And throughout this whole process, they've been so thoughtful and so kind and yet so thorough. And so you've done well in selecting them. And so thank you, Pastor Search Committee. You've given many hours, I know, of time away from your families, time away from normal things you've done. Yes. Having been on, the, on this side of it, their thoroughness and the hours they spent, I'm not sure if any of you really get how much time they've invested in this process, but I just, I'm grateful for them. 
So new friends, I'm excited to get to open God's word with you this morning. So that brings the question of where do we start? The pastor search committee, to the most, and the elders to degree, have had a chance to know my theological convictions and to know my views on ministry and the church and philosophies of ministry and vision, all these type things. But for most of you, I'm the new guy, and you don't know a whole lot about me except for what Robbie's told you about me. So where to start? There is so much I wish we could talk about, so much we could talk about from the glory of God to the greatness of God to God's plan and help from the Word of God for your marriages and for raising your kids and help from the Scriptures if you're struggling or discouraged or have strongholds of sin in your life, how, what the church is supposed to be, how it's to function together in community, how the church is to function living on mission. There's so much we could talk about, but don't worry, we're not going to do all that this morning, okay? If we're going to start somewhere this morning, and again, I'm the new guy, I thought we should start with what would be our normal Sunday school. Let's start with Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus this morning. It's what all of Scripture is all about. The entire, as you know, the entire Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus. The coming of the Messiah, the coming of the promised one, the one who will rescue God's people. The entirety of the gospel is showing us the life of Christ and who this Jesus is and that he is, in fact, the promised one, the Messiah who has come to redeem us and to rescue us. And the rest of the New Testament is pointing us back to Christ, showing us how we live following him and how we live in this age as we await his return, what we sang about this morning, that glorious day when Christ comes back, not as a baby, but as a reigning king. And so if we're going to start somewhere, let's start talking about Jesus this morning. So as you open your copy of God's Word or find it on your Bible app, John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And I want to spend our time this morning in John 6. So as you're going, there's some background to the book of John in general. Obviously, it was written by John. That one's kind of a duh moment for us, right? It was, it was the name of the book. It was written by John. He's one of the 12 of the disciples. He's the one who's called the one whom Jesus loved. So John has much he can say to us about what it means to seek after Christ and what it means to follow him. John is writing, we believe, from Ephesus. And why is he writing? What is the whole point of the book of John? He's writing to show us that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, we can have eternal life through him. So the entirety of the book of John is all about showing us that Jesus is the promised Messiah, the Son of God, and by believing in him, we can have eternal life. And that is what John 6, we're going to get to this morning, is going to be all about. And as John does this throughout, throughout the book so far, he's going to show sign after sign after sign that Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And he's going to give us example after example, vivid pictures to help us understand what belief looks like. And we're going to see that in the passage we're looking at today. Well, as we get to John chapter 6, we're going to be in the second half of that chapter this morning. But it's important for us to get the context of what's going on. As you know, chapters and verses were later editions. They were not part of the original Bible, and I'm grateful for it. Otherwise, I'd have to tell you to turn to the book of John and look for a paragraph that starts with on the next day, and we'd all spend like five minutes trying to find a paragraph like that. So we're thankful for chapters and divisions. The problem is sometimes it can lead us to see stories as isolated stories and miss how it's all connected. And it is all connected here. What's happening before is very important for this. In the chapter, chapters before where we are today, Jesus has encountered a Samaritan woman already. He's met her at the well. And there at the well, he's offered her living water. And she doesn't understand at first what this living water is. She just thinks she doesn't have to carry buckets every day. But then she comes to understand more of what living water is. She tells her friends, and many believe as a result of that. In the chapters before this, you'll see Jesus heal a lame man. You'll see him heal a child as well. You'll see him teaching that he is equal with God and that people can believe in him and gain eternal life. In the first part of chapter 6, before where we're going to get to this morning, Jesus has done the familiar miracle of feeding the 5,000. 
He's taken the bread and the fish and multiplied it miraculously before the people. And there's even basketfuls left over on this. The people are excited about this, obviously, so they're ready to make him their king. And so he disappears, and they watch the disciples get in the boat, but Jesus is not there. So the people are on a mission. They're trying to figure out where this Jesus is who just did this big miracle. And they're watching for that. The disciples, though, are on their way across the sea. A storm arises. They start to get scared. And Jesus walks to them on the water, and the boat then go, appears on the other side of the ocean after the sea after the storm has calmed down. And that is where we pick up today in chapter 6, verse 22. That's what's been happening right before our text for consideration this morning. Now, before I read it, there's two things I want you to listen for and be thinking about this morning as we work through John 6, starting in verse 22. The first is, what do the people, these crowds that are following Jesus, these people who are seeking after him because they've seen this miracle... What do they think they have to do to be satisfied in God? What do, they, what do they think they have to do to find satisfaction? But then notice the difference of what Jesus says they have to do to be satisfied in them. So there's going to be a dichotomy, a, a difference here between what the people are thinking has to be done and what Jesus says has to happen for people to be satisfied in God and to find that satisfaction. So be looking for that distinction. So we come to John chapter 6, verse 22. And one thing I like to do when we come to the reading of Scripture is to ask us to stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. If you don't mind, let's stand as we read God's Word. I just know in my own life, I have bookshelves full of Bibles, and I can take for granted the blessing of having God's Word right here before us. And this is incredible. We have the words of life from our Creator given to us right here, and we get a chance to publicly read it out loud all over the world today already. People have been gathering in dark corners of rooms, whispering the Bible to each other because they're persecuted for their faith. And we have a chance to gather with windows all around and to stand and say, Thus saith the Lord. I don't want us to take that for granted. So thanks for standing. I'm going to be reading out the English Standard Version. If you just want to follow along your Bible, I'll read out loud for us. John chapter 6, verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowds saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him who he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you do and perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Verse 32, Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, 
that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in Him should have eternal life, and I will raise Him up on the last day. Let me pray for us. Father, we are thankful that You've given us Your Word, and that You're not a God who has hidden Yourself from us, but in Your kindness to us, You've revealed Yourself to us. And thank You for the Word of God that changes us, that is powerful. And we pray now this morning, O Lord, that Your Word would transform us. That, God, that You would do Your work that only You can do and let your word just take root in our hearts and may it transform us. Help us love you more. Help us seek more after you and find our satisfaction in you. May we feast on your word this morning. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Thanks for standing in honor of the reading of God's word. Well, as we get to our text this morning, there's one main idea I want us to see. Now, that doesn't mean I'm going to tell you one thing and we're going to pack up and go home to lunch, okay? There's one main idea, and I want us to kind of unpack that and work through the text this morning to see this idea unfolding in the text and see what that means for our life. But the main idea, the big takeaway from this text for us this morning is that Jesus alone will satisfy our deepest longings when we believe that he is the bread of life. So here's the main idea of this whole text, that Jesus and Jesus alone will satisfy our deepest longings when we believe that he is the bread of life. Now, notice what I did not say, that Jesus will satisfy our deepest longings when we get really busy serving in every ministry in the church. That Jesus will satisfy our deepest longings if we just give more to missions. That Jesus will satisfy our, our deepest longings if we just share the gospel more every day. Now, what this text shows is that Jesus satisfies our deepest longings when we simply believe that he alone is the bread of life. So let's look at this text. Let's kind of walk through it and see what's happening. So let's start with the scene. Look back in verses 22 through 25. Let's get the context of what's happening here. This is incredible teaching that Christ has given us. So back in verse 22, on the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea saw there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples. But his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. It tells us on the next day, John is uniting what is happening here with his teaching on the bread of life and what's just happened with walking on the water, what's just happened with the feeding of the 5,000. And this is common in John's writing. John often will show us through this book, here's what Jesus did, now here's what Jesus said, now here's how the people respond as a result of that. And that's what's going on here. We've seen what Jesus did with the miracle, now we're going to see what Jesus says, and we'll see how the people respond to it. Well, their initial response from just seeing this miracle, the sign itself, is, well, where's Jesus? We saw the disciples get on the boat, but he wasn't with them. Where is he? And they start looking for him. And when they can't find him, they get on boats and they cross the other side to discover where he is. And when they finally find him there, notice what they ask Jesus. They ask him a question here, and it's really more of a curiosity question at the end of verse 25. Rabbi, when did you come here? They're confused. They're puzzled. And they ask this curiosity question. But notice Jesus' reply. Notice what Jesus does not answer, but instead what Jesus tells them. Verse 26 and 27. Jesus answers them, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Jesus doesn't answer their question. When did you come? He tells them something totally different than what they ask. Because Jesus is not a people pleaser. Here the crowd is following him, and he is not at all impressed with the crowd. Because Jesus knows their hearts, he knows our hearts, and he is not impressed with what he sees in their hearts. He knows their hearts are far from him. And friends, this is really sobering 
Because these people were busy seeking after Jesus, but they were busy seeking after Jesus, looking for Jesus, but with entirely the wrong motive. We're not careful to get really busy seeking after Jesus and be doing so with the wrong motive. Jesus calls them and calls us to take a look in our hearts, to take a look at him, and to do a little heart check on why we're seeking after him. And he introduces this idea with this phrase in verse 26, truly, truly, or if you're reading out of the NIV, it will say, I tell you the truth. In the Greek, it literally says, amen, amen. It's a common expression in John. John uses it, records it for us more than 25 times. When Jesus has a really important idea to communicate to us, at least in John, he'll say, amen, amen, truly, truly. If you want kind of a contemporary English paraphrase, it might be, hey, listen up, this is pretty important. Ever do that with your kids? They're not really paying attention. Hey, listen up, come on, pay attention. You know, that's kind of what Jesus is doing here with the amen, amen, truly, truly, you better listen to this. And what he's telling them is they're seeking him for the wrong reason. They're seeking him not because they saw signs. Well, yes, they saw the miracle. They just saw the feeding of the 5,000, but they saw the miracle, but they missed the sign that was in the miracle. They missed that that miracle was pointing them to the one who had come, and instead they're focused on getting their stomachs filled. They were seeking him because of the temporal, because of the physical, because of the material benefits they could get from Jesus. Yes, they have desires that they want satisfied, but they're focused on their temporal, surface-level desires, not their deepest desires, not their deepest needs. They're focused on things that do not last, not on the things that are eternal. And so Jesus corrects them with a very strong correction in verse 27. And he says, do not labor for the food that perishes. Well, he's not telling them not to work. We have a theology of work from the entirety of Scripture. He's not telling us not to eat. That's not what he's saying here, because we know it's important to eat. We know it's important to work and work hard. He's simply saying that physical food is not ultimate. Physical food is not ultimate here. We have needs even greater than what we're going to eat for lunch. We're going to eat for dinner. As much as those are real needs, we have needs that are far greater than that. He's basically saying, do not make the things of this world your primary concern. Get your eyes off of things of this world. That's not your primary concern. Instead, look at verse 27. He says, do not labor for the food that perishes, but, and in the Greek, the word labor is not there, but it carries over, so you could translate it, but labor for the food that endures to eternal life. Labor for the food that will endure to eternal life. Work for that food that preserves, that lasts, that lasts to eternity. Friends, the best meal I can eat today is going to leave me hungry probably by 10 o'clock tonight. Definitely by tomorrow morning I'll be hungry from it because it won't last. But Jesus is offering us something that doesn't just satisfy today or tomorrow or next week. It'll satisfy us 10 million years from now still. He's offering something so much bigger than this. But there's a paradox here. He says, labor for the food that endures to eternal life. But notice this, which the Son of Man will give to you. He tells them to work for it. And he says, guess what? You can't make it. You can work for it, you can try, you can labor, but I have to be the one to give it to you. There's a little bit of a paradox here. Work for this, but I'm the one who's going to have to give it to them. And how do we know he can give it to them? The last part of verse 27, for on him God the Father has set a seal the Father has set a seal on Christ the Son. This is the idea of verification, of authentication, that Jesus is saying, I can give this to you. I can give you what you need because the Father has appointed me for this. The Father has set me apart to do this. But do the people get it? No. They, they, they still miss it. Jesus just said that he's going to give it to them, but they miss it so much. Look at what they say. Look back at verse 28. 
Then they said to him, so again, this is the response to Jesus saying, I will give it to you. The Father has approved me to do this. I will give it to you. And here's their response, verse 28. What must we do to be doing the works of God? What must we do to be doing the works of God? Friends, we cannot get a much clearer picture of works-based righteousness. I mean, literally here in the Greek, it says, what must we do to work the works? What must we do to work the works? They are looking for precise definitions of what they can do to earn God's approval and to be satisfied with Him. They're, they're not looking for what God's going to give them. They're looking for what they can do in a very precise definition. What work can we work? What thing can we do? What can we do to be doing that will gain God's approval? Friends, that's not grace. That is works. But before we throw stones in them and be like, man, they're dense, aren't they? You know, before we throw stones, aren't we at times prone to do this also? Aren't we sometimes have the same perspective? We can talk about grace when we talk about salvation. We can sing about grace. But how often are our hearts led astray to where somehow we think God loves us more if we just get busy in the church? That somehow that if, if we just go on another mission trip or give more to missions, God will somehow smile down on us. Or if we just, and we know we're stretched thin, but if we just serve in that one more ministry, maybe God will be pleased with us. If we just give a little more. Sometimes I think that we get ourselves in the same mindset of thinking that we just do we just work the works a little bit more. Somehow God will smile down on us a little bit more. And somehow think that we'll be more satisfied if we just get busier for Jesus. But Jesus has a correction for them and for us when our hearts go down this path. Because our deepest needs cannot be satisfied in getting busy doing kingdom work. Our deepest desires, our deepest needs cannot find satisfaction even in the things God gives us, the good things God gives us. There's only one thing that can satisfy us, and Jesus is going to start pointing them to what that is. Look at this. Verse 29, Jesus answers them. When they ask, say, what work must we do? Jesus says in verse 29, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. That you believe. Jesus turns their whole perspective upside down. He's going to completely counter their works-based righteousness with grace. He's going to call them just to believe. Is that it? Can it really be that simple? I don't have to do more stuff to gain God's pleasure. I just have to believe in the one that God has sent. And yes, that's it. We cannot gain acceptance by God by what we do. We cannot get satisfaction by doing more for God. It's a gift that God gives us. But they still don't like it. They're still going to argue with Jesus a little bit more about this. Look at what they say in response, verses 30 and 31. So they they said to to him, Jesus, then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So a person who's ingrained in works-based righteousness, when someone comes to them and says, just believe, what do they do? They challenge the one who made that claim. How can you tell us that? Give us some sign. Give us some proof. And the irony is they've just seen with their eyes Jesus multiply the loaves and the fish. And now they're saying, give us a sign. But it's interesting because the sign they asked for is manna, which the rabbis at the time taught the people that when the Messiah came, he would duplicate the miracle of manna. So realize in their question, they're basically saying, okay, so you say you can give me this? Prove it. Duplicate that miracle, the one that the Messiah is supposed to do. Come duplicate that and prove to us that you really are that guy. They're challenging him with that. They just cannot get past their workspace righteousness and believe him. And notice even how they challenge him in this. It's even full of works as well. In verse 30, 
what sign do you do? What work do you perform? They still can't get grace. They're still even asking this Jesus to do something and show some work to prove to them. And they even go as far as trying to back their demands with Scripture. They even quote, here they're quoting Psalm 78 about their fathers having manna in the wilderness. But they're misusing Scripture to try to back their workspace orientation. And Jesus will again correct them. Look at verses 32 and 33 of his correction. To start with another amen, amen. Another truly to another, hey, listen up here, guys. Look at 32 and 33. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. It was not Moses who fed them. It was God who fed them. And now it's God who is offering to them. Notice this present tense. God gives to you. That God is offering to them. The God who in the past could do the miracle of manna from heaven to feed his people. is the very God who is standing there looking them in the eyes right now, offering them something even better than manna. And it's because he is Emmanuel. Verse 33. It's a great picture of Emmanuel, God with us. The bread of God is he, Jesus, who comes down from heaven. This Jesus who is standing before them is the provision they need for eternal life to all who will believe. But do they get it yet? They still don't get it. And so verse 34, they say to him, Sir, give us a spread always. This is kind of reminiscent of the Samaritan woman at the well. When Jesus says, I offer you living water, she's like, great, give it to me. I don't have to come back to the well every day. Same thing here. It's like, man, he's going to offer a spread of life. I never get hungry. I don't take time to eat anymore. He's going to give me miracle food. Great, bring it on, Jesus. But they miss it. They're focused on filling their stomachs. They like the idea of a miracle worker who can multiply loaves and fishes. They like the idea of one who can meet all their material, temporal, physical needs. They basically are wanting a prosperity gospel that's so popular and so appealing in our culture today. They're wanting a gospel that says, God is here to give you everything you want, but with no calls to obedience, no calls to discipleship, no calls to sacrifice, no calls to worship Him. They're looking for a God who just gives them everything they want without any call on their life. And they totally miss that the man standing before them is the one who could satisfy them and give them their deepest desires, and they totally miss it. But their stubbornness in the Lord's providence leads to one of the greatest statements in Scripture. As Jesus clarifies for them again, he's going to get into the first of what are seven I am statements. In Scripture, this is the very first one that appears. And Jesus is going to, to respond to them, show them that he alone can satisfy them by, if they'll believe he's the bread of life. So look at verse 35. This is an amazing verse. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus hasn't been talking about physical bread all along. He's not been talking about the temporal, the physical his concern is spiritual. What they need is not primarily physical. What they need is spiritual bread. They need spiritual life. They need Jesus. Because only Jesus can meet their longings. Only Jesus can provide them eternal life. Only Jesus can satisfy them now. And he says, I am the bread of life. The very gift that they need is Jesus. But remember, he's not just a gift. Look back in verse 27. Verse 27, do not labor for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures your eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. This is incredible. The gift that Jesus is offering to them 
is himself. The giver is the gift. The gift is the giver. It is one and the same. It is Christ. And those who know him, who believe in him, that's the giver and the gift they receive, are the ones who will never hunger and never thirst. Which means that their spiritual longings, their deepest desires, will find satisfaction in Christ and in Christ alone. There was a famous mathematician a long time ago, Blaise Pascal. And Pascal, apart from his writings, wrote some stuff on theology. And he said, within the heart of every man is a God-shaped void. It's designed by God, friends, because only God can fill it. There's an emptiness inside every heart of every man and woman on this planet that only God can fill. The things of the world can't satisfy it. Food can't satisfy it. Relationships can't satisfy it. And, dare I say, ministry busyness cannot satisfy it either. Christ, the one who offers the gift, is the only one who can fill there. He's the only one who can fill that God-shaped void. So how do we find satisfaction? How do we get that void filled? Well, verse 29, he already told us to believe. He's going to clarify for us here in verse 35. Look at the end of verse 35, or middle of verse 35. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall not thirst. Whoever comes, whoever believes. And friends, that's one and the same. To come to Jesus is to believe in him. To believe in Jesus is to come to him. In scriptures, believing in Jesus is never just a mere intellectual thought. But a belief is a coming to him. It's a surrendering to him as our Lord, as our boss, as our master. It's living our lives. from Believing in Jesus is a changed life that comes to Christ. It's a total commitment to follow him as Lord. But again, they're not wanting that. The people are looking to have their stomachs filled and temporal needs met. So Jesus tells them like it is. Look at verse 36. This is far from being very seeker friendly, isn't it? But I said to you, you see me, you do not believe. And Jesus is not people-pleasing, trying to gain an audience here. He tells them like it is. You don't believe. You've seen, but you do not believe. And don't forget, these are the people who've just seen the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. They don't believe. He says, walked on water, made it miraculous on the other side. They don't believe. They've heard him talk about the bread of life, and he can satisfy them, and they don't believe. But lest we think that God's sovereign plans are somehow frustrated by their, Jesus, but by, by their disbelief, Jesus continues what he's saying, and it's one of the most amazing assurance texts in all of Scripture. And so if any of you struggle with assurance of salvation, verses 37 through 40, you need to own this, this text. You need to memorize it, meditate on it, write it on post notes, put it all over your car, your bathroom, your house, wherever, and let this text own you. This is incredible. Listen to verses 37 through 40 again. All that the Father gives me will come to me. Whoever comes to me, I'll never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me. I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. Friends, Jesus takes the full responsibility for your entire salvation. The Father gives His Son, all that the Father gives His Son will certainly come. Those who come will never be cast out, and those who come will be raised up on the last day. What we sang about that glorious day when Jesus comes again. Friends, if you have come to Jesus, like we see here, if you've believed and you come, which again are one and the same, if you've come to Jesus, if you've believed, you can be certain that God can't lose you. The guy can't forget about you. Like, oops, I missed that one down there. No, not going to happen. Guy can't lose you. Guy can't forget about you. Guy can't misplace you. 
If you are in Christ, He knows you and He will persevere you to the end of that glorious day we already sang about. So much so that John 10.29 tells us that nothing can snatch us out of His hands. Not even Satan himself can grab us out of the Father's hands when He's holding on to us. I wish we had time to work through John 10 today. Maybe that'll be for another day on that. But this is not just assurance of future salvation, friends. This is also assurance for His presence right now. Salvation is not just our ticket to heaven. It's abundant life now. Again, also in John 10.10, 10, I've come they may have life and have it more abundantly. Again, abundantly is not thinking about physical things, but spiritual things, these deeper longings, these finding satisfaction in His presence. And so what Christ calls us to is to be satisfied in Him, to believe that He alone can meet our deepest longings when we believe. Not when we work, but when we believe. Well, what are those longings that I keep mentioning that He can satisfy? Our longings for fellowship with God. Our longings for security, knowing that He's the one who holds our future in His hands. The longings to have purpose and meaning in life. The longings to understand what our identity is. The longings to be known by Him and to be known by a people. These are the longings, these deep longings, these God-shaped voids in our life that only He can fill. And He alone can fill it, again, both as the giver who gives it to us and as the gift that we receive. But Jesus and Jesus alone can satisfy our deepest longings if we'll just believe that He is the bread of life. But like the people in the text here, I wonder how often do we lose sight of that? In my own life, I've lost sight of that before. How often do we get busy like the people here looking for Jesus, but we're doing so with the wrong motives? We're wanting something temporal. We're, We're seeking Jesus because we want Him to answer everything on our prayer list. We're seeking Jesus because we want to fix our problems. Are we seeking Jesus because He is Emmanuel, God with us? Because He is Messiah, because He's God who's worthy of our worship. How often, how often do we fall into the trap of thinking that God will just love us more? We're just busy serving Him, and we miss abiding in Him and being satisfied because we're so busy doing, doing, doing that we miss finding our satisfaction in Him as the bread of life. I wonder how often we're like what verse 28 described. We get busy to work the works, to do, to be doing. How often are we so busy doing that that we miss the abiding? And in the process, we forget that salvation is all of grace. Well, I'm not saying we don't do those things. Again, those are sermons for another day on evangelism or missions or serving in the body and all those things. Those are all good things. But the question is, what are our motives in doing those things? Are we doing these things for the Lord? Are we busy for the Lord because it makes us feel better? Are we busy for the Lord serving in all sorts of ways because we're somehow deep down trying to alleviate some guilt or find some satisfaction in the things we're doing instead of finding it in the one who's called us to do those things? Are we doing these things? Are we busy in ministry because we're trying to somehow think that God will love us more, accept us more, if I'll just do a little bit more for Him? Or are we doing those things instead because we first have feasted on His goodness, because we've tasted the bread of life, because we're satisfied in Him and out of that overflow, out of that having our deepest longings met, we now serve with gladness because we want others to find that satisfaction that we know they're missing. Friends, two people can serve alongside each other in the same mission trip, in the same community outreach ministry, in the same ministry here at Gateway, and be doing it for radically different motives. And on the surface, it's hard to tell because it's a hard issue. Two people can stand alongside each other serving at the carnival coming up in a few weeks. They're all on a mission trip. And one's doing it because they're somehow trying to please God and gain satisfaction in Him. The other one's doing it because they're just so full of Christ. They want others to do it. So I just want us to think about and to realize that, that there's a big difference 
and why we do what we do. Jesus and Jesus alone, nothing else, can satisfy those deepest longings if we'll just simply believe that he is the bread of life. And so, Gateway family, I just want to encourage you this morning that if you're not a follower of Christ, it's got to start there. You don't earn salvation by doing more for God. You don't earn salvation by joining a church. You don't earn salvation by serving in all the ministry opportunities that are before you. It is a gift that you receive, and the gift that you receive is Christ himself, the giver and the gift. If you've never started there, you need to start there this morning. But for the rest of you, and I know some of you, and I'm getting to know more of you, who love Jesus deeply or in Christ, my challenge to you this morning is to take a look and pause and focus on Christ. And remember, you cannot do anything to make him love you more or do anything that cause him to love you less. If you are in Christ, God loves you because he chose you. The Father gave you to the Son. If you're in Christ, he loves you because he's redeemed you. If you're in Christ, he loves you because when he sees you, he sees Christ's righteousness. And let that be your identity. And let that be your motivation to seek hard after him. To find your deepest longings met in Christ as the bread of life. And let that then drive you to everything else you do and to keep it in that order. Because Jesus and Jesus alone will satisfy our longings when we believe he is the bread of life. Let me pray for us, Gateway. Lord Jesus, you are good. And Lord Jesus, you satisfy. Would you forgive us for so often looking to your gifts to satisfy when you only can satisfy. Lord Jesus, would you give us grace to not find our identity in what we do or in how we serve or in using our spiritual gifts or in any of those things, but to find our identity as children who are loved by their God. And God, would you give us grace to not lose sight of this. And Lord, in the business of our lives as we balance family and work, and church ministry opportunities, and opportunities in our neighborhoods, and so much good stuff that you have put before us for this time and this season. Would you give us grace to pause and to realize that we need to be satisfied in you first and then do all those things out of an overflow? Help us keep it in the right priority. And Lord Jesus, I pray for myself and for these new friends that, Lord, today, as we go throughout this day, that you would just remind us that you only satisfy. Would you stir our affections that we might long for you And you only, and find perhaps for the first time today a new satisfaction in you that perhaps we've been missing recently. Lord, we can't create that. We can't stir these type of affections for you. Only you can create these. So in your kindness to us, would you give to each one of us here the gift of satisfaction in you? And would you give us yourself? Because you are the one who satisfies and fills that void. So would you have your way in our midst, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We come to the end. Can I ask you to stand, please? So our praise team leads us in a closing song here. If you need to do business with God, you can stay in your seat. Just talk to Him. I'd encourage all of you just to ask the Lord, stir my affections for you, Lord. If you're not pleading with the Lord for that, plead with the Lord just to ask Him to give you fresh affections for Him. If you never trusted Christ or if you need to have someone pray with you, some of the staff will be here. They'd love to come talk to you and pray with you if you need, to, if you need to, someone to encourage you this morning. Let's sing.